March, April, and May, pretty much all equities had extremely high implied volatilities. No one knew where any stock was going to be trading. Now it's a bit more specific to the sectors. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Hello, and thanks for joining us today. Across the pond, the European Union approved an enormous stimulus package for countries still coping with the coronavirus pandemic. Despite the groundbreaking step, Global markets are expected to remain volatile in the near future. Are there tactical opportunities to be found in the market dislocations? Will European equities catch up with the U.S. stock market? For answers to these timely questions, Mark Ray speaks with Chris McKinney and Matt Montemuro discussing a range of strategies to manage the risk-return trade-offs. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to the BMO ETFs podcast on your preferred podcast player and sharing it with your friends and colleagues. Hello, I'm your host, Mark Rays. I'm the head of product for BMO GAM Canada, covering ETFs and funds. We're joined today by Chris McKaney and Matt Nonamiro, both portfolio managers on our ETF desk. Chris focuses on equity and derivative or option strategies, while Matt focuses on the fixed income side of the book. So welcome both Chris and Matt, and thank you for joining us. Thanks, Mark. Good morning. Good morning. Let's dive right into things. And we'll start with the biggest news of the past week, which was the massive stimulus package that was announced out of Europe. And as well, we see the U.S. trying to push something further, although perhaps a little trickier getting it through the various layers of approval. Can these packages push markets even higher? Or is this optimism of almost limitless backstop already priced in? As well, does that change your view on the relative strength positioning between Europe and the U.S. if it appears to be a little easier to get things done in Europe? It certainly seems that markets uh, almost shrugged off the announcement. Are we just getting numbed to this type of uh, activity at this point in the recovery? Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, that's, that's actually a very good question. It seems the numbers get bigger and bigger with each one of these, but you know, equity markets, as you say, kind of shrugged off this news. And, and the main part, uh, I guess the, the main backbone of this agreement involves 750 billion euros of grants and loans to help nations recover from, from the pandemic. And it's, it's notable because this is the largest ever joint borrowing the EU has ever done. Typically, nations have issued their own bonds to borrow with, and this is the first time the EU has done it as a group. And so this has been in the makings for a while. You know, France and Germany actually agreed to this, you know, a few weeks ago, the concept of the EU bond. And so, you know, that might be part of the reason markets have really shrugged this off. But the, the other thing really is that it's not necessarily, you know, this is not necessarily good news. It's just not bad news. And so I think if there was no deal, equity markets would would certainly take a hit. The fact that there is a deal, it's not immediately positive for equity specifically. Where you do see the impact is more in the currency markets. So with the strength of the euro, 
Because essentially what this deal does is it strengthens the European Union overall. And it wasn't that long ago, you know, that we were talking about Greece potentially leaving the EU. Of course, we've been talking about Brexit for, for several years now. And so there's been a lot of speculation that with countries potentially leaving the EU, there would be knock-on effects and eventually it would all fall apart. This is actually the strongest statement that the EU can put forward, that it will continue forward as one block of countries moving together. And so you, you have seen a reaction in the currency markets with the euro up a couple percent uh, relative to the U.S. dollar just in the last two days, but also a few percent um, just this month on speculation this deal was coming through. And if you take a look at actually back prior to pandemic shutdowns, um, the currency is actually about 5-6% higher than where it was then and actually at its highest level relative to the U.S. dollar since 2018. So I think it has been accepted as a, as a positive in the currency markets. Again, it's just not an immediate impact to equities. But what it does do is lay the, the groundwork for, you know, over the next year or two, creates a nice uh, cushion for countries to start this recovery process that we're going to be all going through. And, you know, this is the uncertain part of, of this rebound is how long will it take? Will, will different countries move at different speeds? And so this certainly creates a nice backdrop for Europe over the next two years to potentially grow out of the, uh, the the bottom that we were in in March and April earlier this year. And so it does look favorable, I think, to European equities overall in general, but it's just more of a long-term play that, that you're getting out of this. All right. Thanks for that, Chris. And certainly uh, in the last few days, we're seeing heightened interest in our ZEQ, our European quality ETF, where you know, that quality factor, and we've talked about it a few times now, is really appealing to both the, the bulls and the bears. I'd also uh, be remiss not to mention uh, later this week, we're actually planning on bringing out on our U.S. quality, both the hedge and the U.S. dollar version due to the, uh, the demand on that. Again, the quality suite is ZUQ.F and ZUQ.U coming shortly. Uh, it will be interesting to see if the U.S. can push through that further stimulus and almost catch up to what Europe's doing now. Exactly, because it always seems to be a, you know, a relative strength game that way. So, Matt, let's switch gears and talk about the preferred share market, where, of course, we've got the largest preferred share ETF in Canada, ZPR, or Zipper, as we like to call it. And we saw some interesting news that, that impacts that market with RBC issuing a new type of bond, the Limited Recourse Capital Note, LRCN, another acronym that we're all going to have to memorize and get familiar with. And it could be a game changer because it looks to be a cheaper financing option for the bank than preferred shares. So can you comment on this new type of issuance and what it may mean for the preferred share market going forward? Thanks. Absolutely, Mark. Uh, this news definitely could be a game changer for future the future of bank financing. Banks have been working uh, to find a cheaper alternative for tier one capital. Uh, for some time, and these LRCN, or another acronym for you, is uh, additional tier one. So AT, uh, AT1 notes are the uh, first structure that has been approved by OFSI. So the structure uh, in itself basically consists of two instruments. One, uh, it's a deeply subordinated uh, interest-bearing notes with a maturity of 60 years. And two, 
perpetual preferred shares. So from a seniority perspective, uh, they will align with tier one capital like press, uh, but they'll enable the bank to finance at much cheaper rates uh, like bonds. Uh, we saw the first, uh, as you mentioned, we saw the first AT1 uh, bond issuance yesterday by RBC, and it was uh, quite the success. It was uh, issued $1.75 billion solely to institutional investors. That was quite a large issuance for, for this new structure and really kind of is very telling as to uh, the appetite out there for something that is like a press bond hybrid. Uh, the success of this structure uh, could mean the redemption of bank-issued preferred shares, uh, specifically targeting those with higher reset spreads. So this has obviously sent the preferred share market into a frenzy and has been a huge stimulus for the market. So basically since the announcement that Offsy uh, had approved this new structure, uh, basically, one week ago, on the uh, 14th of July, uh, ZPR, Zipper, has, has rallied by 8%. It's a huge rally for, for an asset class that has been uh, uh, challenged over the last several months with uh, credit spreads bouncing around and, and uh, new lows on our five-year uh, candidate bonds. So several factors have caused uh, this spike in performance for ZPR over the last couple of days. Uh, so one, if, if banks start to redeem the higher reset spreads at $25, you'll start to see price appreciation. So you'll be able to take advantage of that price appreciation on those calls uh, in both the ETF and in the market. And then once redeemed, uh, preferred investors will reinvest into the rest of the market and then providing further upward pressure. So it's really twofold in terms of a, a positive impact that these AT1 notes are having on the preferred share market right now. So that's why we've seen the pop that we've seen. That being said, the AT1 issuance across the banks will take time, as that there is a limit on how much can be issued. Some estimates uh, are saying that in 2020, we could see about 17 billion. So we've already seen 1.75 billion. So it's not gonna be something that is, uh, we're gonna call every preferred share back, but it's something that you know we'll start to see uh, over time how it's gonna impact the preferred share uh, market specifically for those bank-issued preferred shares. Uh, and as we wait and see how other banks uh, view and issue the structure, uh, we'll continue to monitor the long-term impact that it could have on the preferred share market, and specifically our ZPR and how that's going to change uh, from a universe perspective and an asset class perspective. Great. Thanks for that, Matt. And yeah, I think it's been quite an interesting week in, in preferred shares and Obviously, people speculating that that further issuance is going to come out, leading to potentially retirement of preferred shares. But great point that you make there around the limitations around that. So thanks for that update. Let's move forward and talk about another area of the market that's certainly been moving. Uh, we've seen energy rebound quite a bit uh, with WTI oil going through $40. Now, we haven't seen a dramatic demand rebound, although... You know, we are starting to get out. I'm noticing the roads are getting a little bit busier every time I'm out there. So can this move be explained mostly via the supply side, or is it just speculation and optimism? How would you approach this trade? I'll give this one to Chris. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, the, 
the demand side you, you speak about, you know, there's certainly more demand than there was back in March and April in the sense that, you know, demand is not zero. Um, right. So there are planes flying, there are people driving, just obviously not to the level we were at uh, in 2019 and, and, and the start of this year. So there has been, you know, a small demand rebound. And I think what we've seen is the oil market um, normalize. Uh, certainly the low, low prices we were saw, and I won't talk about negative prices, that was more of a structural thing, but the low prices we saw in March and April, I think were potentially a little bit of an over uh, reaction to what we were seeing in terms of, again, pretty much all flights being grounded, no one traveling anywhere, no one, no one even leaving their house. And so there was a very strong price action to the negative. And so what we've seen now, as we get a little bit more sense as to what the, the new normal is going to be, um, that market is stabilizing a little bit. Having said that, you know, throughout most of 2019, oil was trading at around $60. Um, and now, as you say, we're at about 40 now. So we're certainly not uh, back to where we were. But I would also note that um, you know, even before the the COVID-related shutdowns, oil did start selling off, um, you know, into closer to the $50 range earlier this year in early January as the supply, again, that supply glut was, was coming on board. So we have seen some movement um, from the supply side, restricting supply a little bit to stabilize the market. We've seen a little bit of demand rebound, again, in the sense that it's not zero anymore. And so I think, you know, the idea with oil is going forward, if you want to see prices get back up to those $50, $60 ranges, we're going to have to see increased mobility and increased travel and things like that. And so this is really more of a longer term approach when you're looking in the oil market. We think probably the better way to play this is through those uh, large caps and senior producers that are a little bit more well capitalized and we know are going to be here one year, two year, three years out. So the names in, in, in our ZEO or Equal Weight Oil ETF, you know, things like Enbridge and TransCanada or TC Energy, you know, the larger companies that are, again, a bit more well capitalized, um, don't have to worry about liquidity and can ride out and have ridden out short term price fluctuations in the past, you know, many, many times. Um, these companies have done it and they know how to do it. And so we think, you know, if you're going to play an oil recovery, again, this is related to overall economic growth and economic recovery. This is one way to play that through a ETF like ZEO, where you get exposure to those large caps. And by the way, it is paying close to a 6% distribution rate as well. I think it's about 575 right now. So you're getting that nice income stream, some money in your pocket while you're waiting for this to play out over the next couple of years. We think that's probably the best way to go when you're talking about um, the oil market. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And you make a really important point where, you know, those large cap names are, are going to be the ones that are best able to withstand uh, any further volatility out there. So using ZEO with this equal weight large cap is, is a great way to move forward. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying this episode, we encourage you to tune in to our Deep Dive series, where we take you under the hood of the BMO GAM product suite. Most recently, we take a deep dive into the BMO Canadian MBS Index ETF, ticker ZMBS, 
a traditionally institutional offering for defensive income in the current environment. For more information, please see the episode notes below. Now back to Mark Race, Chris Heeks, and Chris McKinney. Chris, as well, can you give us an update on volatility and option premiums? Time seems to fly when you're working from home, but we've got another month behind us now with the recovery. How are you adjusting the option writing strategies? Are you still able to write further out of the money and collect the same premiums that you were getting pre-COVID? Yeah, certainly we have seen volatility come down a little bit here in July, although I would still say it's, it's still quite elevated uh, relative to, let's call it, normal markets. If you just look at the VIX as, as one measure, and that's implied volatility on the S&P 500, um, so not necessarily applicable to, to all individual names, but it does give good context for the, the volatility markets. You know, it's at 25 right now, which is the lowest it's been since late February. So that's, you know, positive news in the sense that volatility is coming down uh, in the equity markets. However, it is still pretty much double uh, where we were prior to the the February and March uh, sell-off. And so back in January and December, you know, VIX was at around 12, so a very low level. So we are still about double uh, where we were before. And so... We have seen premiums come in a little bit relative to the last couple months, but still definitely elevated relative to where we were before the shutdown. And it does, it is starting to take on a bit of a sector specific approach here. And so, you know, in March, April, and May, pretty much all equities had extremely high uh, implied volatilities. No one knew where any stock was going to be trading. And so across the board, we were able to generate very high option premiums while still writing very, very far out of the money. Now it's a bit more specific to the sector. So companies like Costco or Johnson & Johnson, you know, companies that were very low vol to begin with uh, previously um, have kind of come back to those levels where, you know, we kind of know what we're going to get out of these companies. And so the volatility is a bit more, let's call it normal for, for certain stocks. Um, But others in the healthcare sector, technology-wise even, um, and consumer discretionary in particular, the volatility stays very elevated in those names and in those sectors. Um, And so, you know, you blend it together and you still get a very high option premium with average moneyness that's still well higher than where we were in normal times with premiums, again, relatively higher than, than where they have been as well. Looking out for the expectation for the rest of the year, we actually expect it to continue. You know, high volatility is expected to continue. The VIX futures market implies volatility will be higher than than throughout the rest of the year than where it is today. Trending higher into those November elections in the U.S., where certainly there's a lot of uncertainty around the outcome there and what that will mean for markets, but then staying elevated as well for the rest of the year. And so we do expect a heightened level of volatility uh, for the remainder of the year, and that bodes well for for generating option premiums at a high level, and again with high levels of moneyness as well to protect against you know that trade off between income and growth. Great, thanks for that, Chris. And you know I think with all the risks that are still out there, that elevated uh, volatility or premium levels, of course, uh, certainly makes sense. So good to see that you're able to take advantage of that across our our call writing strategies and. I think your unique approach where you know you target a premium level and, and can go further out of the money really allows uh, those ETFs to really capture more of that upside return when, when it is available. Thanks for that. 
And just one more question for me before we go to the lines. Uh, Matt, I'll come back your way. How is our recommended exposure to investment grade credit through XBBB or, or triple B exposure or XQB or, or A and above exposure? Uh, how's that been faring now through the recovery? Uh, we know credit spreads are probably still a bit wider than they were earlier in the year. Where do you see this opportunity? Is is that trade still still a good one for for our recommendation list? Thanks. Thanks, Mark. Year to date, we've been on uh, quite the ride, and and since the wides of March, uh, we've definitely seen the pendulum swing with credit spreads tightening uh, significantly. Uh, credit has performed uh, strongly outperformed provincial and federal bonds uh, in April. May, June, and July so far. So with this tightening, is there still an opportunity? Uh, My opinion is definitely uh, yes, there is. Uh, We still sit at credit spreads that are 30% higher than historical norms. So there remains the ability and space to see further spread compression uh, as we go through the summer and into the fall. Uh, You know, I look at all of our corporate products from, you know, ZCM, ZCS, ZCM, ZLC, ZCB, ZBBB, ZQB as an opportunity to play this further spread compression going into the rest of the year. So we have seen strong performance. So why do I think that further spread compression is coming and probable? So the first one is, you know, we still are sitting at 30% wider um, from a uh, credit spread perspective. So there is room to see compression. Two, uh, the Bank of Canada corporate bond buying program, uh, many would assume that this program is what has been causing the spreads to come in. However, thus far, the program, which has a cap of $10 billion, purchased just $130 million of bonds. So that's 1.3% of its intended size. So the tightening we've seen in the market has been caused more so by the ability of the Bank of Canada to buy bonds rather than the actual buying of bonds. So what that tells me is that there's a safety net in the market that should volatility returns, let's say second wave fears do come to fruition, I do see a safety net and a buyer of last resort in the market that should keep some peace of mind for corporate bond investors and keep spreads you know, in and around these levels and potentially could act as a uh, counterbalance for further spread compression. Finally, uh, you know, due to work from home, it does seem that this summer is quite a bit quieter from a trading perspective. You know, I think just looking at the volumes in July and in fixed income, uh, there's not a lot of Uh, bonds being traded, and and there's just not a lot of buyers out there. So what that tells me is that there's cash sitting on the sidelines for a lot of investors as, to be honest, they they work from home and probably enjoy a little bit of family time and disconnect from, you know, the turbulence that we've seen for the first half of the year. So once September hits and once the fall hits, I do expect that that cash will be put to work and be deployed. And I think that's going to be another avenue for further spread compression. So overall, those are three factors that I think are positive in terms of our recommendations of ZQB and ZBBB among all of the uh, rest of the Canadian uh, corporate investment grade space, where I do think there's opportunity to take advantage of where we are in the market, as well as some structural programs that are in the market to help maintain spreads. 
So overall, we at BMO offer the most uh, extensive suite of corporate exposures, and really it allows you to pick and choose exactly where you want to be on the credit curve, especially you know taking advantage of that, that, that those credit spreads now during this low-rate environment. Great. Thanks for that, Matt. And you make some really good points. I mean, everyone's been running at, you know, full capacity all through the course of the year. So perhaps some are, in fact, taking a breath during the summer months, taking a breather and, and <laughs> just trying to uh, collect themselves coming into to the fall. And the other interesting point I thought you made there was was around the the signaling of intent from from the government and from the Bank of Canada. You know, it really is that more than backstop than the actual activity where, you know, even overnight we saw uh, announcement of potentially trimming back the T-bill program, the money market program, just because those markets have settled a little bit. So, again, you make a great point around just that intent and, and people understanding that backstop being there. With that, I'd like to check if there are any questions on the line for Chris and Matt. Yeah, hi guys, it's John here. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Uh, due to a bit of market uncertainty at the present time, quite a few investors have started to look to ETFs like your premium yield ETF. So dead pay is the picker, I believe. Uh, do you think you could explain the mechanics of this ETF and why it would be a good place to hide out for the next little while? Thanks. Sure. And so the, the premium yield ETF is, um, you know, it utilizes uh, the auction markets in a similar way to our covered call strategies to generate a regular uh, option premiums uh, income. The, the difference between this fund and some of those covered call funds is that it's, it's much less uh, invested in the equity markets. Currently, we're about 35% invested in equities. And so it's really more of a balanced type exposure. And so it does make a lot of sense for those investors that you know maybe might be a little unsure as to the, the future direction of the equity markets. Um, you know, are we going to get another sell-off? If there's a second wave or if economic growth is not as strong as what some people are expecting, are we going to see a little bit of pullback in the equities? And and so, you know, not wanting to go full into those markets. Premium yield is a great way to do that. Again, it's about 35% invested in equities. But, um, you know, instead of just investing the remainder in, in fixed income for stability through very low yields that, that Matt was just talking about, it uses T-bills to backstop uh, short put options. And so we're generating premium, we're generating income. And so there's a higher level of overall total return there that you might expect from a, from a traditional balanced fund. And what it will do is, um, you know, through those options, as markets sell off, we'll gain more exposure to equities. And as markets rally, we'll gain less exposure to equities. And that's what we've seen through the last few months as markets have rallied. Um, you know, the equity exposure in this fund has gone from as high as 70% down to the current 35 today. And if equities continue to rally, um, the strategy takes a little bit more off the table as we go. And so it becomes a little bit more defensive the higher equity markets go. And so we do think it is a, a good approach for that, either a balanced investor or an investor that's a little bit unsure about going right back into the equity markets, concerned about valuations potentially. Um, as it does provide a bit more measured exposure and will adjust as markets move. So on top of that, just the comments we were making about the volatility markets and how we're able to continue generating outside premiums relative to normal conditions and how we expect that to continue over the next several months, um, we think that plays very, very well into a strategy like the premium yield. Does that pay is the ticker there? Perfect. Thank you so much. 
Good morning. Just a question on VEDIM, female MSCI emerging markets. We've seen some flows into emerging markets. Is it too early to be thinking about emerging markets, or is that a place that we could be looking at right now? Thank you. Yeah, emerging markets are certainly an interesting place right now, and you know we have touched on this uh, once or twice in, in previous calls. But um, you know, certainly we, you know, emerging markets is a mixed bag. Obviously, there's a lot of different countries that are that are included in the emerging markets index. You know, the largest exposure is to China, and you know we actually view China as one of the leaders of economic growth over the next year or two. You know, they they kind of went through this lockdown first uh, before all other countries did, and have now started emerging before other countries have as well. And so that was actually the only country we've seen positive um, GDP growth from, partly because you know they were starting from such a very high annual GDP growth in the six percent range. So even taking a big hit due to COVID still left them in positive range, but. Uh, nonetheless, positive is better than negative, and and so we do see, you know, China as one of the leaders in economic growth over the next couple of years, and them also being the main uh, or the largest exposure in in the ZEM in our uh, emerging markets ETF. The thing you do have to balance out with that is there are obviously exposures to India, Brazil, some of these larger countries uh, within within the emerging markets, uh, South Korea being another one as well, and so. Those some of those countries are still just beginning their their exposure to the the coronavirus and to COVID, and so we see cases expanding rapidly in, in places like Brazil and India right now. And so there could be a little bit of pain ahead for some of these countries, but at the same time, China will will be leading ahead. And so you know, for a long term investor, certainly I don't think it's too early, so to speak, to be investing in emerging markets. We think it makes sense to have an allocation to emerging markets for any growth investor, really just as part of that diversification story. Um, and so if you are looking longer term, we think it, it makes a lot of sense to be looking at emerging markets. Um, China has a lot of actually leading, globally leading uh, companies in the technology space. Of course, we do have a lot of that in the U.S. as well, but um, certainly no, no shortage of it in China as well. And so certainly for a longer term investor, we think it makes a lot of sense to be looking at this right now. Uh, for a shorter term investor, you just have to be uh, obviously a bit more aware of the different countries that make up that basket and what the different risk profiles are. Thank you. And just a, a subsequent question. ZCH, would I be better to maybe own China directly or should I maybe still play it through the emerging markets? Thank you. Yeah. And so again, that's, as, as I mentioned, the emerging markets broadly, you got a lot of different companies in there. And so, you know, a little bit more of a mixed bag. If you are a believer in that China story, if you do want a bit more of the pure play, Obviously, ZCH is a, is a great way to go. That's a pure China exposure that doesn't give you exposure to those other countries. For the longer-term investor that just wants an allocation, we think ZEM makes a bit more sense simply, again, because of that diversification story. Even though there are uh, countries like India and Brazil that, that might have a tough short-term in the next few months, India we see as a, as a leader over the next several years as well. Um, due to their population and, and, and economic growth potential. South Korea is another one as well. And so we think, again, for longer-term investors that just want that growth profile, probably ZEM, that broader exposure, makes more sense. Um, for someone that just wants that China play that I was talking about, that obviously over the next year or so, potentially a leader globally in GDP growth, 
and maybe focus that into the ZCH. Thank you. Okay, not hearing any more questions. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today. We really appreciate you listening in. Thanks for your questions as well. Uh, hopefully we all picked up something here that we can we can take back to our own conversations. Thank you, of course, to both Chris and Matt. Really valuable insights, covering a lot of ground, a lot of asset classes, and just as importantly, providing some really good ETF ticker trade ideas to drive some of these uh, opportunities home. So thanks for that. So with that, I'd like to once again thank everyone for joining the call. Be well, be safe, enjoy the rest of your day, and thanks again. Thank you to Mark Race, Chris McKinney, and Matt Montemuro for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today we heard valuable updates on Europe, preferred shares, and the oil market. We were also reminded about the value of having an options layer in the portfolio, particularly through periods of extreme volatility. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, please see the episode notes below. Contact your regional BMO ETF specialist or visit BMOETFs.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we encourage you to subscribe. And if you have any questions you'd like addressed in future episodes, please send them to Andrew Vachon, A-N-D-R-E-W dot V-A-C-H-O-N, at BMO.com. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment tax or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.